In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Imagine this scene with me. There's a woman in her 30s named Maki. She's in her warm and vibrant kitchen, holding court, serving delicious appetizers while cooking the main course. The room is full of family and friends. Laughter pours from this welcoming space. As her sister-in-law, Rachel Held Evans, the late Christian writer, describes her, Maki lights up conversations. She encourages people to push their limits in good and fun ways, like singing karaoke, things you thought you'd never do. And Maki listens better than anyone else. Rachel marvels about her sister-in-law in her book, Inspired. She marvels how standoffish family members had held back, and yet because of Maki's great listening ability, they would divulge feelings and stories. From the nitty-gritty little things to the transcendental beautiful ones. How does she do it, Rachel wonders. Well, what Maki would do was after hearing someone share for a little while, she would then say, and then? <clears throat> With each and then, more and more of the story poured out. Connection, linkages, relationship, giving momentum and continuity for those stories and that learning and Curiosity doesn't stop. Rachel Held Evans points out that Maki's great gift of and then is also intrinsically linked to a linguistic device in Hebrew scripture. The writers of, of Hebrew scripture would put in the syntax at the front of a verb one character that character is Vav, W-A-W. And it's an active conjunction. This moving gift to say that we'll move from one action to the next. So the stories of God's people move on and on, and then, and then, and then. Rachel gives examples at the microscopic level there was light, and then God saw that the light was good, and then there was evening, and then there was morning. This beautiful way of linking all of these actions together. And then at the, the, mic, the macro level, Bible stories move from book to book, right? From Genesis, and then Exodus, and then Leviticus. We have stories of Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob and we get to Jesus, and then, and then, and then. That active conjunction, keeping us connected in relationship together. Today's gospel is an and then with Jesus. 
Last week, we heard about hospitality through the parable of the Good Samaritan, who knew exactly who his neighbor was, and he showed compassion despite a myriad of differences. And then we got another glimpse of what hospitality can look like. Not in a scene concocted as a lesson to an uncertain attorney, but making a point about relational dynamics in a real life setting with two sisters, Martha and Mary. And if you have siblings, maybe you know something or two about the dynamics that can emerge from siblings and the tension that happens from time to time. In our gospel, we hear that Jesus and the disciples are on the move, teaching, healing, witnessing, and they come into an unnamed village. Martha is the hostess. She welcomes Jesus into her house. And it's called her house. Her sister Mary is there, but this is Martha's house. Mary is perched at Jesus's feet, listening as he teaches and talks. But Martha has so much to do. She's overoccupied, overwhelmed, overburdened, and she feels all alone. Martha doesn't handle this frustration very well, for rather than speaking to her sister, who's been her sister for a long time, she um, doesn't ask her sister for help. She goes and she vents to Jesus. Now, a therapist might call this triangulation. <laughs> a priest might call it that too, because what Martha's doing is pulling in someone else who is not part of the tension to try to make him fix the problem. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? In essence, Martha demands, fix it, Jesus, fix it. So while Martha, the hostess, has extended hospitality to Jesus and the disciples, she is, in this moment, short-sighted about what hospitality is to look like. She's only focusing on those tasks associated with the preparation, right? Perhaps the food and the dishes and getting things clean. She doesn't have an open concept kitchen like, like Maki we heard about earlier, who could do all the things at once, who could visit and cook simultaneously. That's not Martha's architecture. Martha, as hostess and welcomer, is missing out on being hospitable. While she's buzzing around, she is separated from Jesus. She is tangled up in the minutiae. She's missing out on deepening relationships. She's doing something important, for sure. And she's missing out on what is life-giving in the moment. She is anxious, trapped in the concerns of the right now, distracted and disconnected from the purpose. She's confused even. Like, can you feel that tension that must have been heavy in the room? 
Well, Jesus sees this. And rather than rebuffing Mary for sitting around while her sister is laden with serving others' needs, he shows Martha exactly what she needs in that moment, which is compassion. Martha, Martha, he says, you are worried and distracted by many things. He is naming a truth for her right now, saying, I see you. You are worried and distracted by many things. There is only one thing of need right now. You see, at the heart of hospitality, we don't find food. We find relationship. Now, food may be the vehicle to get people there, and having good food is helpful. And the core of hospitality is love for one another, being with one another. Mary displays a deeper, more abiding form of hospitality. Mary fully receives Jesus in presence and in word. Mary receives his full self. Martha is clearly upset. She feels isolated and alone. She is hurting and overwhelmed. Jesus has been in a space like that before, too. When Jesus was in the wilderness and tempted by the devil, he was hungry. And the devil said, just turn these stones into bread. You'll be fine. Break your fast. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The words of Jesus were more nourishing than the meal shared. And that is the truth of what he imparted to Martha. Martha needed that nourishment. Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. That better part looks for us like being fed with the word of God before we go and do the work of God's people. See, Jesus isn't condemning Martha for being a bad person and Mary for being the best person. Jesus is recentering Martha, who is scattered and turbulent. And I got to wonder, what else was going on with Martha that day? Maybe Martha was grieving. We don't hear Lazarus mentioned in Luke, but maybe you remember the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus who died. What if Martha is busy because she is heartbroken and she can't bear to sit still with her thoughts? This week I was reading a book called When the World Breaks Your Heart, offering spiritual insights for people living with and through tragedy. It's written by a National Guard chaplain who responded to a devastating plane crash in Indiana in the late 80s. 
of that crash. 113 died and 180 some odd people survived. And he was on the ground ministering with these people. And as he watched the movement of the first responders and people at the scene, he wrote that the busyness and buzz in a time of trauma has a lot more to do with human brokenheartedness than the tasks actually at hand. The chaos and the movement and the busyness has a whole lot more to do with our broken hearts than the tasks we are doing with our hands. I wonder how that rings and feels with you today. We have different seats in the traumatic experience at St. Stephen's one month and one day ago. Maybe you were here. Maybe you got a phone call. You saw the news. Maybe you lost a loved one to violence. And as we're sitting here, there are various ways that we are processing this devastating loss at the hands of violence of three people that we love. And so what I have to say to you is that if you see within yourself or with others around you, busyness, here's the hard news. That busyness will not take away our brokenheartedness. There is nothing we can do that will fix and heal right now, even when our prayers are, Jesus, just fix it. Just come here and fix it, Jesus. And so what can we do? We sit with Mary at the feet of Jesus. We listen to the word. We weep. We laugh. We share. We learn about you and me and faith and forgiveness and God. We say, and then, and then, and we stay in relationship with God and one another. And it doesn't move quickly. Grief and pain don't move away quickly. Healing is gradual and cyclical and frustrating and humbling. And like, and like grief, as a wise person told me, we don't do it alone. We don't do grief alone. We don't heal alone. We are beloved by God, and God will not leave us comfortless. Henry Nowen is one of my favorites and wrote some beautiful words of wisdom, some foundational words that keep me tethered. He writes, the great message that we have to carry 
as ministers of God's word and followers of Jesus is that God loves us not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as the true source of all human life. My friends, as we sit at the feet of Jesus, we are to receive that word so that we can proclaim the love of God in Jesus as the true source of all human life. And so let us take the time we need to sit and receive compassion, to be gentle with ourselves and one another. Let us receive the love given to us by God. And when we are ready, we will we will share the hospitality and welcome that God has showed us and we will show it to all of our neighbors. We will share meals and stories and hope so that our bonds of Christian community are more beautiful together. Amen.